So tonight I want to talk about what else? Wisdom and awareness. That's pretty much it for the month, folks. <laughs> um, but really, I want to, to start more really talking about wisdom. As you're aware, uh, wise understanding or right view, however you want to translate it, and the first step of the Eightfold Path. You could think of it really, wisdom or freedom of heart and mind, as the beginning, the, the thread that goes through all of our life of spiritual practice. I mean, like that word practice, all our life of spiritual development. And um, at the end, I don't know if there's an end, but it keeps strengthening wisdom. But um, to begin our practice, to begin each day, to really um, remind ourselves again and again, I find that the heart of the Buddha's teaching, that again and again he said why he was even teaching, was to free our hearts and minds from suffering, from confusion. That was the really deep and maybe and of only, but the main motivation of everything that he taught. And when we come to our spiritual life, our spiritual practice, I find it, not just I find it, but really, really important to begin from this, to really hold it in our heart and mind. As the Buddha said, do not settle for anything less than really freedom of heart and mind from suffering not even wholesome states of mind, not settling for wholesome states of mind. How often, how often have we thought, okay, that's good enough. It's pretty good right now. And we don't actually say I'd settle for it, but kind of like it's enough already. <laughs> not even settling for wholesome states of mind. This is what really can bring us a depth of commitment, of faith, and the willingness to hang in there, not only on retreat, but in our whole life. The, the willingness to hang in there when everything gets tough, to really embrace this potential, this aspiration, in whatever language is true for you or touches your own uh, sense of aspiration. This isn't to, to create craving, but it's really to, uh, that's why I like chanting the refuges and precepts, you know, it's really a way of honoring the depth and power of what we're doing and reminding ourselves why. It gives a a whole um, strength to our practice, even when we're just, you know, schlumping along one foot in front of the other, what am I doing here? You know, we don't think of this every moment. But it has an effect in the mind stream. It strengthens our faith. I was listening to a talk by Choki Nima Rinpoche. He's the older brother of Sogni and Mingyur Rinpoche. And um, he seems like a very sweet man. I don't know him, but he said, liberation practice means that we practice the Dharma with deep motivation, not only for some ease and happiness in this life, But really, when we start our practice with this understanding, with this potential of really freeing our heart and mind from suffering, it will bring faith and confidence and really strength to our practice. So, I mean, 
saying that at this place for people who are here a month, I might not say that to a, a group that had a lot of beginners in it. Because saying, well, not only not practicing just for some ease and happiness in this life. I mean, mostly, why do any of us begin practice? We'd like some ease and happiness in this life. That's not a bad thing. We're not like throwing that out the window. But really, and by the time we've done as much practice, as much commitment in our life as people here, I know I'm not saying anything new, but I just want to um, just highlight that. The power of reconnecting with the depth of wisdom that the Buddha is offering and reminding ourselves that's why we're doing this. This isn't like a an aspiration, I'm no good, I'll never get there kind of thing. It's like, yeah, right. It's not just to feel good. Now, doesn't that help in the 50% of the time that you don't feel good here? You're saying only 50%? <laughs> That's what we're here for. So, whatever type of technique of meditation we're doing, we're doing one particular one here. Whatever aspect of bhavana of mental cultivation we undertake, coming from any aspect of the Buddha's teaching, it's all with this um, potential for real freedom from suffering. All the different techniques are coming out of that and offering us a way to wisdom, to understand. And so when in What's the wisdom, the freedom from suffering that the Buddha is talking about? How, do, how am I going to talk about it anyway? Let's put it that way. I am in no way saying that I am encompassing <laughs> all the wisdom the Buddha talked about, please. But the freedom, you know, he's talking about of our hearts and minds not being caught in suffering is an you all know this, again, I'm not saying anything new, is that not that we get a different world or a different body or that people start acting more appropriately in this world, (laughs) doing what we want, that, you know, that injustice and bias and hatred and war and racism and everything stops. No. But it's really that we understand ourselves and the world differently. This is what I love about the freedom, the wisdom of heart and mind that the Buddha is talking about. It's like right here. The way things already are doesn't have to change. That the confusion and the suffering is simply because we don't recognize ourselves, experience the world accurately. And when we recognize inaccurately, we respond inappropriately and we suffer. The Dalai Lama. So much of our unhappiness originates within our own minds and hearts. It originates in how we react to events in our life, so-called internal, so-called external. It's not the freedom that the Buddha is offering us 
is not freedom from the events or the experience. It's not freedom from the unpleasant. And we all know that on one level, right? But how many times do you find yourself, I certainly do, getting caught back up in that subtle or not so subtle assessment that this experience is wrong because it's unpleasant. We don't say that. It is unpleasant, and so the assessment is it's wrong or I'm wrong. And the sense that our freedom is heading us toward a beautiful land of pleasant, 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 just getting better, better, going up, up, up in a nice, steady way, right? And it's more and more pleasant until finally it's just a big blast of pleasantness and we never have to experience ourselves or anything we don't like again. Yeah, we laugh, but look in there. What are you really thinking sometimes? It's a riot when you really look at it. Anyway, <laughs> I can see I'm getting sidetracked. So, um, <laughs> So the Buddha really shared what he recognized when he woke up. The world wasn't different, but with the eyes of wisdom, the heart-mind of wisdom, we see things the way they are. We just recognize nature, Dhamma, the way it actually is. And our reactions and responses that are based in confusion just stop for a moment. We see that the seeds of suffering and the seeds of freedom are rising moment to moment, here and now, in this mind, in this heart. And this is what we can really come to understand. This is what I think our practice is about, recognizing accurately. Mingyur Rinpoche, the younger brother of something, they're quite the family, those guys. You know, and their father, their father, Tulku Ergin, is one of the greatest Dzogchen masters of the last century. Anyway, Mingyur says, if we want to be happy, we must figure out what causes and conditions lead to well-being. Similarly, if we don't have a clear understanding of the conditions that create suffering, how can we possibly expect to free ourselves from it? So you get the sense this is really, you can see how this is leading into our steady awareness practice. What is to me, I just love it, the right view, right, right understanding, can, we can think of that on so many levels. So one level of right understanding or right view is really quite literal, recognizing experience accurately just recognizing accurately, just in a moment. That's a moment of insight. That moment frees our heart and mind. Little moments, but they they count. Notice them. It frees us from the suffering of inappropriate reactions. And I'll, I'll talk more about that, of course, but this is really amazing. So the sense that the, the wisdom, the freedom the Buddha is talking about isn't that we have to have some like amazing experience somewhere, but it's a law, it's, it's the natural order of things. When our perception, when our awareness is really present and not confused, we see how things are, then the suffering aspects, basically greed, hatred, and confusion, 
they don't arise in that moment because they don't make sense. It's not, I mean, a lot of the translations are, you know, abandon, uproot, and um, that can be useful in a way at times when we say, okay, not now. But I know for me, those words abandon and uproot give a slide into a subtle sense of bad, aversion, get rid of. And the way my mind works, and I, I doubt that I'm the only one whose mind works this way, as soon as these are the causes of suffering, I must uproot them. Well, what's going on right away? Bad, get rid of, aversion, and that's exactly back in the same cycle. That's why the steadiness of simple awareness without judging, without picking and choosing, the willingness to be with what's happening and see how it works is so profoundly liberating. It really, I know, it doesn't seem like much of anything. You're just being aware of clinging for the 10 millionth time, right? What the heck? This really, I don't see what this has to do with freedom because we want it now and we want it the way we want it. But I'll talk a bit more about it. This is really changing the whole show. And the more we come to really trust, to take refuge, or as Ajahn Sumedho says when he's really, I've heard him talk different times when he's really caught up in something or having a hard time or his personality's challenged, he said, I would just determine to take refuge in awareness. Sometimes we have to just say to ourselves, yes, I'm going to cultivate awareness even though this is a complete mess I'm totally caught in. There's no way it's hopeless. It's like this. Sometimes we just determine. So this is really the power of awareness to reveal reality. The reality reveals itself and that is the wisdom that leads to freedom of heart-mind. Simple example I often use of the effect of accurate recognition to just free the heart-mind from suffering. I use this a lot of uh, a small child. I got this from watching my young nephew growing up. He's four now. But when he was two and learning, you know, those simple games where you have blocks of different shapes, square, triangle, circle, and you have like a board that you put the right shape in the right hole, which, you know. And for a little kid who doesn't know how to do that yet, they see the parents do it. You go plop, 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 and it looks simple. And then he would take the block, and, but he'd have the triangle and try and jam it in the circle, and it didn't work. And he didn't know why it didn't work, because all he saw is just, you'd put it in, it works. So he's trying, it's not working, and frustration and anger and whatever's going on. So expand it as if it were an adult, you know. It's either like, there's something they're not telling me, there's a secret of how to do it and they're not telling me, or, you know, they, they are somehow setting me up, or I'm really stupid, or this is a stupid game anyway. You know, all the things until the blocks go flying across the room, whatever. <laughs> and at some point with a little kid, you know, as, the, as they keep doing it, maybe there's a mistake the first time and the circle goes in the circle. Ah, doesn't really see why. It was just by chance. But a little bit, you know, the attention gets a little older. There's a little bit more steadiness of attention. And at some point, 
the perception matches what's happening and he really sees the difference of the shapes and how they match the holes. And then it goes in and every time it's simple and all that other stuff just goes away, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense anymore. He doesn't have to say, now I need to uproot this frustration <laughs> because it's gone, right? And say, oh, they were telling me to seek. So that's just natural. That's nature. That's what happens when we recognize or the mind-heart recognizes accurately. But we can't exactly think our way into this. Lord knows we've tried. But we can't really think our way into it because we don't know what we don't know. You know what I mean? So like the nephew doesn't know why it's not working. And then when it's working, you can go back and see why. But we don't know what steady awareness is going to reveal. And if we think we're looking for something, that gets in the way, but the insight is just that sense of, oh, it's like this now. It just is so clear. There may be thinking about it, some understanding, some mental, but then you don't really need to hold on to it. It's an understanding that's there for that moment, for that particular experience. So this is really like a a very simple corollary to what the wisdom that the Buddha is talking about. It's nothing personal. It's just that when the awareness is not steady or when it's distorted by wanting or confusion or thinking about something else or looking for something just not really present, when it's like that, We just don't recognize how things are. But when it's cleared up, it's just like that's the laws of nature. A triangle fits in the triangle hole. That's not really going to change. It's the laws of nature. So we stop fighting when we see how things are. I mean, the classic things that are talked about, of course, are recognizing impermanence, recognizing not-self, recognizing the unsatisfactory nature. I'm not going to go into those tonight. I'm sure all of you have had moments when one or the other or or all of those ways that all experience is is really palpable. Am I right? In some sense of it. We forget it later. But when it's there, it's like, oh, there's no point in arguing about the fact that everything's changing because it's just how it is. All the arguing does is create the suffering. All the resisting does is create the suffering. And that's so obvious. It's just nature. It's just how it is. It's like uh, fighting gravity or fighting the body that's aging, which we do, which really helps a lot. I'll just tell you, really, really helps. Um, it just adds. When, and I, you know, so my body, everybody's body is aging. My, I'm just noticing it more lately for I don't know why. Um, and I can really, it's really fun to play with. It is. Because I can see certain moments when this is not okay. It can't be like this. It wasn't like this two years ago, and it is not okay that it's like this now, you know. And then at some point, it's like, get a grip. This is how it is. And when the mind, the attention is, oh, this is how it is right now. There's not a past, there's not a future, it's not, you know, fighting. It's just like this now. It's fine. It's just fine, because the problem isn't in 
what's happening is in the mind making up a whole story and wanting and confusion and holding around it. It's like this now. There's nothing to fight about that. Remember I said the other morning, Byron Katie's line, when you fight with reality, you lose. So this is really the, the wisdom that the Buddha's talking about is just the laws of nature. It's how it is. It's kind of sad and shocking in a way that so much of our energy and so much of the way that the stories we tell ourselves and the ways that we perhaps unconsciously describe or think of ourselves in the world are not in sync with how things are. And I'm not about to go and say, why, why did it start like that? You know, the Buddha is saying the four things, and I'm only going to say one of them, the four things that will make you crazy, basically, to think about. And one of them is the beginning of things. So we won't go there. But we can look at how it is now. So, so how do we recognize accurately? What does block or obstruct the arising of wisdom? As I say, it's a arising of wisdom, accurate recognition. It's a lawful process. It's not like which I thought when I first started practicing. I thought I did whatever they told me, and I tried, 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 and push, push, push. But in the back of my mind is the feeling that that. At some point, some kind of like magical occurrence would happen. You know, something would descend from the clouds or something would blast apart in my mind. And somehow, I didn't know how, boom, wisdom and freedom would come. But it's extremely lawful. Everything has cause and effect. Nothing's just like magical from the sky. And mindful awareness, the steadiness, the perseverance, of mindful, non-judging awareness is absolutely the key. It's such an amazing tool for its simplicity, for its availability. I'm sure you've heard um, from the Buddha talking about Nibbana, saying this Nibbana is visible here and now. To what extent? For Nibbana, you could substitute freedom from suffering. To what extent is it visible here and now? to the extent that that greed, that hatred, that confusion are not present in the citta, in the mind stream, in the heart stream, in a particular moment. Because these distort. This is what obstructs, prevents accurate recognition. Now, right here, this starts to get a little bit tricky in the ways a lot of our minds work. Because we're saying that these, I'm saying, that these three qualities, and you know we talk about them all the time, are the qualities that when they're present and not recognized, perception is distorted, understanding is distorted, they lead to suffering and confusion. Now, can we hear that without the mind jumping into the habit of, you know, this is good and this is bad. I like this, I don't like that. And right away, we're into, these are bad, they must be uprooted, they shouldn't be happening. Does that come up at all? I mean, that's just how the mind has been trained to think, really. And so, this is where the steady awareness is a complete game changer in the ways that we meet moment-to-moment experience. So, 
Yes, when these qualities are present in a moment of, of mind, a moment of citta, and not recognized, they do lead us astray. They, they, we recognize inaccurately, we draw the wrong conclusions from experience, and then we act on them. Even very simply, very simply. So say there's a really loud sound, and the aversion unrecognized that that sound shouldn't be happening, I'm suffering because of that sound, and we may or may not then act on it, do something about it. And we may even stop the sound. And then we think, now I'm not suffering anymore. I fixed the sound, which is adding delusion more on top of the aversion, because that just keeps on feeding the ideas we have. If I can control experience, then I'll be happy. That's what happiness is. Right? That's the definition, really, of samsara. You know, the Tibetans say samsara is the urge to correct. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Yeah. And so, whether it's that or whether it's a really nice experience, a beautiful sight, a lovely smell, this, the sight of lunch or whatever, and we don't quite recognize that the sense of this greed comes in, the going after, and the sense of maybe excitement or uplifting or getting something and tasting something good. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But then not recognizing that the greed, when we don't know it's there, really focuses on the object and makes that particular object experience the source of our ease, the source of our happiness. And again, we just keep on in samsara, in suffering and not seeing clearly. And the, the, the thing with, with all of these three, but with greed and aversion, two sides of the same coin, you know, tanha, when the Buddha talked about the cause of suffering, the second noble truth, the cause of our confusion, and he chose tanha as the cause, and which could translate as craving, as thirst, really. Thirst. We use desire in English to cover a lot of different states. So tanha is thirst, and that can be the, that craving for or the craving to push away, either way. So we get aversion and clinging both in there. And the thing about it, we're so seduced. Our hearts and minds are so seduced by the habits of craving and the habits of aversion. I mean, this is really, in a way, what we've been taught through the culture, through growing up, that that's what Unpleasant is what makes us suffer. Pleasant is what makes us happy. The craving, even in the definition in the Second Noble Truth, the Buddha says something like a tanha accompanied by delight. Now here and now there, looking for happiness, now here and now there. But the craving accompanied by delight. I think that's a really interesting way of phrasing it because we do so often mistake the craving for a kind of happiness. Which as you know, those of you who've been watching craving arising 10 million times and just can't bear it another moment, go, how could I ever mistake this for happiness? And that's part of the mystery. But basically, it's so habitual. Okay, I'm speaking for myself. It's so habitual to arise, it's become such a deep habit that as soon as oh, craving comes up, we go with it. It feels right. It's so comfortable. We don't tend to question it in normal life. And if, if we're not even looking at our experience, we're just going with it. 
we don't even think cravings are problem. We don't even notice craving, frankly. We just go after the thing. Or that un unpleasant sound. We may notice aversion, but it's still it's all about the sound. And of course I don't like to be with unpleasant. What masochistic person does? Only a masochist would want to be with the unpleasant. So that's really sick. Of course that's normal. And so we're so seduced. It just feels like the right thing to do that to even shift the attention from just going with it to instead just say, oh, let's just look at this. Let's just keep the steady awareness being with this whole process rather than getting sucked into following the craving, following the aversion. Before we start really exploring steady awareness, that might not have ever occurred to us because it's just so obvious that's how things are. So that's what our invitation is when we're talking about here just simple, relaxed awareness of whatever's occurring, that whatever's occurring includes, a lot of the time, these qualities that arise moment to moment in heart-mind that obstruct clear seeing. They're also simply mental states that awareness can notice. They're not outside of awareness. When we abandon awareness, we get lost in them, just out of habit, just out of familiarity. But when we take our, a refuge in awareness, or as Ajahn Sumedho said, we go, oh yeah, right, I'm really caught up right now. <sighs> Feels like this. That's all. You don't have to analyze. You don't have to figure it out. You just kind of, well, I kind of take a breath and go, right. It feels like this now. I was looking for craving. I don't see any craving. It's just everything's fine. It feels like this. And I just surrender into the moment. And suddenly, this has happened so much. I would have sworn there was no craving. The mind was clear. I was just mindful of what was happening. But everything's all caught up. I can tell something's going on. So, okay, it's like this now. I'm just looking, looking, and all of a sudden, it's like a huge mountain of craving comes shooting up into my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so much occurring so frequently. It's so familiar. I didn't even notice. And I was even looking for it, and I didn't even notice. Have you ever had that experience? It's like, wow. But then the trick is you simply allow awareness to notice the next moment. We don't take that personally. We don't go off into a whole story about how bad we are because we didn't recognize the craving and it's hopeless and I'm hopeless and then that's just <laughs> the same thing, aversion. So this is the invitation with the steadiness of the simple mindfulness. You don't have to think about what to look for, but it's, it's bringing interest in. As Mingya Rinpoche said, if we want to understand suffering, we have to get interested and see how does suffering arise? How does it dissipate? In just a moment, you have to look at your whole life, just a moment, it's all happening right here, in this heart, in this mind, in this moment. That's all we have, this moment. That's all there is. So we kind of, instead of um, going with the habit of greed is bad, aversion is bad, I'm bad, it's hopeless, it shouldn't be here. It's like, oh, here it is. How do you know it should be here? Because it's here. <laughs> this moment has arisen through all the different causes and conditions that have come together 
stretching back to the Big Bang, really. There's no way we can ever isolate which causes and conditions. And they've all come together to create this particular moment, which in this moment couldn't possibly be any different. Because it's, it's here, it's what it is. So when there's greed here, it's okay. Awareness gets interested. How does it feel? Explore it as it comes and it goes. Watching it come together, watching how it behaves. What is its nature? Or as Utejaniya likes to say, you know, how does greed do its job? What is its job? It has a lawful job. Go get that thing and it'll make you happy. And if that one doesn't do it, the next one will. Keep on wanting, keep leaning forward, keep going for it. That's greed's job and it does it very well. And so we always want to bring in awareness to see how does it work? How does it arise? What conditions? Not thinking about it so much. I mean, I have to say it to talk about it, but you're not thinking about it. You're just watching, seeing what conditions bring it up, seeing how it behaves when it's here. What kind of thoughts come up? How does the body feel? Um, How do we behave under the influence of strong greed? And the more and more we see it, and that's actually the, you could say, positive side of seeing greed arise 10 million times. When there's the willingness, that there's, when that, the moment of awareness that's just interested in greed isn't covered with, isn't, isn't distorted by greed at that moment. This is tricky, but you can get the feeling. Sometimes you know there's greed, but you really feel caught in it or aversion. Other times you feel it, you still feel it, but there's this little bit of interest. Look how it works. I'm walking to get the food and I'm not even hungry, but then I smell a particular smell and I notice this upwelling of, oh my God, this is going to be so good. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting at the table shoveling it down. Whoa, I missed a little bit there. That's how greed just kind of took over. So we see that a lot in different ways. And we start to, not having to think about it, but you start to see the lawful way it acts. And without hating it, without like, you know, trying to just shut down the awareness, watching it, this is the condition that allows natural wisdom to surface. The steady awareness that's just recognizing the causes and conditions and how experience acts and how greed does its job and keep on watching. The fact that the presence of unrecognized greed ends up causing us suffering, it doesn't have to be something that you believe. It's not a philosophy you should take on. We can take it as a piece of interesting information and then follow the Buddha's invitation, Ehi Pasako, you too, come and see for yourself. So the willingness to just keep with steady awareness as the greed, as the aversion are coming up and doing its job. Stay with the awareness rather than saying, well, awareness isn't strong enough, forget it, I'll pay attention again when it's doing better. Do you notice how that happens? And that happens in our life, too. Well, I'm just, I can tell I'm going to eat this whole quart of ice cream, so I'm just going to tune out right now. (laughs) I'll wake up when it's over and say, why did I do that? But during it, I'm not going to pay attention. But we bring attention along during these things. And at some point, now or down the road, it's just a law of nature that it starts to be obvious that the greed isn't really the way to happiness. 
We don't have to believe it. It's just actually how things are. That, to me, is what's so wonderful about the wisdom the Buddha talks about. It's not about we have to memorize all the philosophy and then you know, try and bring our experience into alignment with it. And when it's not, we get really dissatisfied. I don't know if that ever happens to any of you. But, it, but rather, you take it in and go, OK, maybe I can get interested. When greed's arising, it's like this. When it's gone, keep paying attention. Or when the aversion's gone, we keep just being steady with the awareness. And notice what the heart and mind feels like when it has this quality of purity. Purity meaning it isn't distorted by the kalesa. Maybe nothing special's going on, but notice that. There's many, many, many moments throughout every day when the heart-mind is not in the thrall of greed, hatred, or confusion. It's just simply present and peaceful. It's often neutral, and we often don't notice neutral. But just begin to tune into that, because we, we notice how the, how the kalesas cause confusion and suffering. But it's equally important to keep the steady awareness going, and we notice, oh, there's a kind of a peace that's not dependent on having things the way I want. And I, I'm sure everyone here, we all know that. We've all had moments of where you couldn't get through even a week retreat or two days retreat. You certainly couldn't get through a month. None of us could get through all the amount of practice we've been doing without many moments of that. You know, Ajahn Buddha Dasa's talk we often quote from where he talks about Nibbana for everyone. It's a whole long talk, but he's a, he, he was he was funny, funny guy. Um, and uh, in that, he's talking about how the kalesa. I don't like to use the word defilement just because it, it, it feeds into my connotation of negativity and aversion right away. It isn't helpful for me. So I use kalesa, that's why, or torments. Um, but he says, really seeing, they arise due to causes and conditions. You can see when, when greed is arising and we don't see it and we're going with it, it's like that is being practiced. That's being fed. When we sit in the sitting this morning, like I was talking about, with a lot of pain and we're not moving, but what's really being fed and strengthened is moment after moment of aversion. That's really what's being practiced. That's lawful. So when you get up, there's a lot more aversion because the mind kept one moment of aversion in the mind stream makes the next moment a little easier, the next moment, the next moment. Luckily, the same is true for wholesome. So that's what Buddha Dasa was saying. You know, the kalesas arise due to causes and conditions. And when the conditions dissipate, the kalesa vanishes. Everything arises due to conditions. Everything vanishes when the conditions change, and they always change. And so he said, what I was trying to get to, he says, you know, if, if there's many moments a day that the heart and mind is pure, free from kalesa, he calls it the coolness, which he's using a pun, because the word nibbana in, in Thai, they use the word nibban to mean cool, like to cool the rice. The rice nibbans is kind of, so he's, he's playing on that. The coolness of, of no torment in the heart and mind, we can feel that. He said, without that, if we didn't have many moments a day of that, he said, we would die. Or we'd go crazy, and then we'd die. It's just unbearable. But we, we tend not to notice because the kalesas make a lot more noise 
the reactions in the mind are, are more familiar, and we just get entranced by our reactions. We just believe it. So, <laughs> well, I'm really not going to get through this. Um, yeah. So this quality of steady awareness, not picking and choosing what should be happening, not judging or evaluating what should be happening or how good the awareness is, but the, the willingness to, whenever we can remember, to just come back into this steady being present. This is the key that allows wisdom to arise. We're also using wisdom or right attitude, a kind of like on an intellectual level, when we kind of keep reminding ourselves that the quality of wise attitude in the awareness isn't about wanting to make something happen, but just simply recognizing, as both, both Utejaniya and Buddhadasa use this same way, recognizing that everything that arises is simply nature arising due to causes and conditions. They've come about, that's how it is, and they'll change when the conditions change. It isn't personal. Nothing's personal. And so when we keep reminding ourselves, if there's a lot of wanting coming up, not to think there's something wrong with me, but it's kind of that interest can come in when we realize, yes, wanting is arising due to conditions. Let's just get interested and see how that's manifesting. It isn't about me having a lot of greed. It's not about ownership at all. It really changes the dynamic, again, to just seeing things as they are. One of the, uh, an insight that's one of kind of high level of insight that's often described is, is called um, recognizing things as they have come to be in this moment. That's like a really high level of freedom. Just yata, bhuta, jnana, dasana. I like the yata, bhuta. Recognizing things as they have come to be. It doesn't sound very glitzy. It doesn't sound like some amazing insight. But this is really moment to moment. This willingness to just come, okay, right. Whatever's happening is happening due to all the previous causes and conditions. It's not mine or me. It doesn't mean I'm good or bad. It doesn't mean anything about me. It's just nature. As Buddha Dasa says, he says, uh, the Pali texts use the phrase throwing back. When the mind is three, free, he says, we throw everything back to nature. He says, we've been thieves all of our life by appropriating the things of nature as I and mine. But we've been ignorant and suffered for it. But when we become wise, we can realize, oh, this isn't mine. It's just an aspect of nature. So we throw everything back to nature. And we never have to steal anything again. It's all just natural things happening. And this is kind of the, the biggest, I would say, maybe one of the most deeply rooted aspects of clinging and aversion is this, as we're exploring craving, as we're exploring how aversion manifests, this habit, this view of 
clinging to, holding to any, any particular experience as I or mine. We all know this, but it's really just another habit of clinging. We can also recognize that with awareness. We don't have to uproot it, get rid of it, you know, extirpate it. It's just notice how it comes together. Notice how it goes apart. This is from Ajahn Chah. The Buddha talked to us about being free from attachment to the five aggregates, but we can't give them up because we don't really know them for what they are. We believe happiness to be ourselves. We see ourselves to be happy. We believe suffering to be ourselves, and we see ourselves as unhappy. We can't pull the mind out of this view, which means we are not seeing nature. There isn't any self involved, but we are always thinking in terms of self. So it seems that happiness happens to us. Suffering happens to us. Elation happens to us. Depression happens to us. The chain of self is constructed just through thought and attachment to any particular experience. And with this solid feeling that there is a self, everything seems to be happening to us. But when we are free of this constructed belief that there is a self, then the condition of selflessness is naturally revealed. The main thing here is to really keep remembering that Everything in the mind is moment to moment. So when we talk about when we're free of this construction that there is a self, it's it's not helpful to posit that as some kind of future great insight that's going to come and we're done with the sense of self and we never suffer anymore. It's all moment to moment. As Andy, I don't know where I wrote this down, but as, as Andy Olinsky says, you know, the, the mind, chitta, the mind in Buddhism is not a subject that has objects as content. It's not a thing. It's the process of knowing. It's the process of knowing, and it's informed by whatever particular mental qualities are arising in that moment. And it's changing, so there's no there, we just know the mind by its activity. And it's arising in each moment due to the conditions of the all different things, but the previous moment. So each moment is new and fresh. To me, this aspect of impermanence, and this is really the moment-to-moment quality of impermanence, this is what is, to me, so uplifting, so inspiring. It's what makes freedom possible. It's what makes it accessible to my mind to be willing to really explore greed and avern, to really be willing to hang in there when it gets tough. Because it's not that I have to be aware, aware, aware for 10 years of suffering, 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 and at the end of it, finally, it all blasts through. Like, it's impossible. But there's moments, again, when I mentioned before, just simple moments when there's not greed, hatred, aversion, and maybe nothing special. Notice those moments. The sense of self is constructed. You can see it happening. It's constructed in moment after moment. And then that construction falls apart 
moment after moment. So there's equally many moments when, as Ajahn Chah says, there is no construction of sense of self and there isn't the suffering around it. Again, there's nobody there to appreciate it. So we tend not to notice it so much. It's just, uh, oh, isn't that nice? And then the self is back, you know, we don't notice it. But we can watch with a steady of awareness because this is just how it is. I mean, I'm saying that. Don't believe me, don't believe the Buddha, but get interested to explore. We can really see. So all day long, the six sense experiences are just cycling, 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 right? Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, thinking, 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 emotion, 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 seeing, wanting, whatever's going on. Endlessly, right? How many mind moments have there been in the day? I don't know. It feels like millions, right? Who knows how many? Not every single one of them has been a moment of sense of self. Notice And this is where it gets interesting how, you know, they're all happening, different things coming and going. And out of the field, it may happen quite frequently, but it's not everything, a particular experience, a sight or a sound, an emotion, a smell, a feeling in the body, is suddenly there's some clinging, some sense of that's me or that's mine. A little contraction. It just feels like a little contraction around it. It comes up. And that particular experience out of the whole field It's like it's been pulled out, it's been privileged in some way. And this one is me or mine or says something about me. It's unbearable or it's really great or we have to do something about it or we have to keep it going. And, you know, the the thoughts that come around it and the story of me keep coming. And if we don't notice that this is just construction, different building blocks being piled on top of each other, there's the the unpleasant sound, there's the attachment to the, to the aversion to the unpleasant, there's the thought about what I can do, there's the sense of self-judgment, there's the memory of all the unpleasant sounds, there's, this, there's the thought telling yourself, well, if you were deaf, you would, you would love to hear this sound, so what's the matter with you? And then you think about, you know, and this can go on and on and on, right? Out of nothing, nothing. And then we come up and go, oh, the sense of self is horrible, I'll never get rid of the sense of self. Just keep watching. Just keep watching. As strong as it is, at some point that dissipates. You hear the bell for lunch and that's all gone. That's all gone. We're just walking happy as a clam. I don't know what that means. Are clams happy? Why do you say happy as a clam? And you're just walking, you're just walking to lunch. No sense of self. And then you see the food. Oh, wow, this is you know a new one. Keep watching. What I love is if we're willing to just keep Taking a step back into awareness, that Tai Chi move, the way things are reveals itself. Reality reveals itself. We don't need to be, in fact, it doesn't help to put our concepts on top of it. So this sense of self, when it's there, is really one of the, the, an unrecognized, one of the stronger habits. It is, talk about familiar, right? Talk about really feeling like the old bathrobe we never want to take off, even though it's totally disgusting. That's like the sense of self, you know. No, don't take it away from me. Just sitting here with peace? No, I want something. Have you ever seen your mind make up a whole really suffering scenario that isn't true because things were calm? Really, it's quite amazing to see that. What's going on? Well, I'm at least here suffering. That's better than peace. 
<laughs> and that's really the habit. It's so strong. So we don't have to figure that out. Steady observing. Just steady. I don't like the word observing. Just being present with what is. It's really a surrendering into this moment. It's not that we get a piece of knowledge, a piece of wisdom, but the natural processes reveal themselves through steady awareness. It's not an act of personal will. And if you can, I feel this is a huge relief. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to create wisdom. In fact, we can't because we're trying to do it out of some idea. But the natural laws, just as how greed does its job, steady awareness that isn't, you know, to distort it, steady, 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 reality reveals itself. And that's wisdom. Wisdom does its job. Oh, it's like this now. And then if there's a response needed, wisdom makes the appropriate response. There can be many different responses. That loud noise that's bothering you, wisdom sees, oh yeah, that's unpleasant. Oh yeah, this is aversion. Aversion feels like this, just like this. That's what's happening. No need to create anything around it. And there's peace for that moment. So it's all just moment to moment, but this is really the power, the power of simple awareness. So rather than accumulating knowledge, it's more like a, I find a deepening of kind of radical trust, radical faith that the truth is accessible, only ever accessible in the totality of this moment, this moment's experience. There is, is nothing else. Dogen Zenji said, you know, if you, can't, if you can't see the truth right where you are, where do you expect to find it? So it's kind of like this, this this radical trust that when I remember awareness, there's more and more trust to just drop into, it's like this now. We never know what will happen next. There's no so that, there's no fallback plan, but there's the trust that with clear seeing, with steady awareness, wisdom naturally arises and wisdom recognizes that the responses that bring suffering to our heart and mind don't make any sense. And you've all had that experience. When you're caught in something and suddenly it shifts and you see it clearly and the wanting goes away or the aversion or the self-judgment goes away and it's like, it feels like a miracle because it wasn't through self-will. Have you noticed that? When an insight comes, it's not like you did it through an act of will. Wisdom is doing the work. Oh. Are there times when there's a steadiness of awareness? Some people have mentioned that. And you can't make it happen through wanting. That's right. But you see, it's the effect of natural causes. We learn to trust that more. And then just keep falling back into the awareness. I just want to end with another line from Mingyur. As we cultivate a sustained recognition of awareness we begin to comprehend that awareness itself is inherently calm, no matter how turbulent the mind. This allows us to discover a sense of peace and stability that is not dependent on the presence or absence of pleasant or unpleasant feelings. I love that. Just a moment. 
awareness itself is inherently calm, no matter how turbulent the mind. Just learning, learning to trust that. So we have a month here, not to have some big experience, but there's so many moments just to remind ourselves, learning how to recognize and trust awareness, so simple. And the truth and freedom reveals itself in its own time. So thank you all for your kind attention. Appreciate it. And shall we just close with this reflections of the sharing of the blessings? You recognize what this is, right? I just want to say it's always a great way to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.